0: Hi, it's Lee Salisbury here. Welcome to another episode of Soap from the Box, the -the behind-the-scenes television podcast that speaks to the biggest stars of your biggest shows. EastEnders, Emmerdale, Coronation Street, Neighbours, Holby City, Casualty, Home and Away. What more could you ask for? Well, musical guests you could ask for. And that is where Pop from the Box comes in, the special spin-off version of Soap from the Box. Remember, though, Soap star and Queen of the Jungle, Jacqueline Josser, join me earlier in the week to so make sure you catch up on that but right now get the glitter ball up get your sequins ready you're gonna need them enjoy my guest today started with the audience in the 90s before striking out as a dance floor diva in the 2000s and becoming i would say almost a national treasure with her kitchen discos in lockdown she had solo albums in 2001 2003 7 11 14 18 and now 2023 her new album hannah raced into the top 10 it's a wistful romantic record inspired by a family trip to japan weeks before we went into lockdown she's here to talk all about it and a lot more it's the voice of a generation sophia respecter hi sophie
1: <laughs> that was a lovely intro, thank you. That's all right, you
0: deserve <laughs> it. So, I mean, the new album, Hannah, you must be thrilled that it went straight into the top 10, first of all, because you never know, I suppose.
1: You never know, and yeah, I was actually pretty blown away. It's really, really lovely. It meant a lot to me, and um, yeah, I'm really, really happy because it, it, I think it's probably the most personal album I've made, actually. It's um, it's definitely the most sort of soft-centred, if you know what I mean. It's As you say, it's romantic. I think it's kind of quite a... A little bit more fragile maybe than some of the other things I've done.
0: Yeah. And it's obviously then uh, it means uh, blossom, doesn't it? It's the Japanese word for mm. blossom, Hannah. Yeah. And did you know, I mean, do you know when you, did you have plans in your head to write a new album or did it just kind of organically happen?
1: No, well, I started writing it uh, 20, well, 2020, actually January, 2020. No, there's kind of a pattern to it. Really. I brought out um, an orchestral record in 2019 and then it was like, right, you start turning your thoughts to the new album and actually like now that hannah's out i've started thinking about the next album it's kind of how it works really it's like yeah. a muscle and um so yeah it's um it, it was a really like natural progression but it also it's funny because albums are like diary entries and they get influenced by whatever else is going on in the world so obviously hannah took me on an unexpected twist when it sort of incorporated i don't know i suppose i think, <laughs> i don't want to say lockdown because i didn't really like directly get inspiration from that but I think there's a reason why a lot of the songs are about escape and space yeah. and sort of traveling to other galaxies, probably because we weren't really going anywhere.
0: And did Tokyo, did, did it really inspire you? I've never been. It's my place. I would absolutely love to go.
1: Yes. Yeah, so what happened was um, I started writing in January and then in February, it wasn't actually a family trip. It was with some of my family. I went with my mum and I went with my eldest boy, Sonny, who at the time was uh, 15 but I wasn't supposed to go on the trip at all. My stepdad, John, was supposed to go, but at the time he was too ill. Um, he had lung cancer and he was too unwell to travel. So I sort of was drafted in at the last minute. So I guess the trip had this sort of significance. It was the three generations, it was this extraordinary backdrop. We absolutely adored Tokyo. Sunny and I'd never been. My mum knew it really well. Wow. Um, so there's kind of all these threads going on, really, of like, it was lovely to be together. We were having some really interesting conversations, but also there was a tiny bit of melancholy, I suppose, because, you know, it was quite significant that John wouldn't be able to go. We said yeah. knew what that meant. So I think that's why it became quite a rich place to go in my head when I got home, especially because I landed back in February. By March, we weren't allowed to go anywhere, not even really leave our houses. No. And so... Japan suddenly had this nostalgia. It was like, how did I ever go somewhere as exotic as Tokyo? When now I can't even go into my mum's. I
0: know. God, wow. <laughs> what timing! I mean, that is mad. Exactly. And I mean, every song is really personal. It's until the wheels Will- wheels fall off, isn't it? It's actually directly written mm. about John. Uh, what a gorgeous yeah. song as well. I mean, is it? How is it the songwriter, but when it is something so deeply personal? I mean, is that something, for instance, that you'll be able to perform easily?
1: Well, actually, that song is really upbeat and obviously there's grief in there, but actually sometimes grief is about the continuation of the love you have for someone. So it's not always always something that weighs you down. Sometimes it's something that can lift you up because that's the legacy of a significant relationship, you know, and it makes you want to continue to live your best life for that person because they're not here. So you feel like you owe it to them to keep going in that same ethos, really. Yeah. So that's song I actually found, found quite empowering. And um, the whole sort of sentiment of it is to sort of seize seize the day, really, and do all have all the adventures today because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And if you do that, that's the way to kind of get the most out of life. And until So the wheels I don't fall find off, that one as emotional. Yeah, sorry. It's
0: John, John um, wasn't it because he said almost because they were so happy, him and Janet, that actually it was kind of like the wheels fell off for him because he couldn't go on the trip and he couldn't do things anymore, which is... About how amazing that they had such a brilliant relationship uh, to celebrate.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't even about Japan. It was, he wrote it saying, um, you know, he was actually saying people talk about, you know, you have your battle with cancer, and he said we beat it because we even after my diagnosis we. You know, we would light the fancy candles. We would drink the best wine. We went on trips. We had adventures, and we laughed yeah. and loved until the wheels fell off. And he was saying, "We just we smashed it. We rinsed oh, it. Brilliant. We like, we seized it all." So no, he was sort of saying that is how you use, you that's it. how you beat yes by by living still living life to the absolute full, to the max that you can, while even when that's in your peripheral, you still go for it. So it was more more positive, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And what a sentiment yeah, to leave. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. It was in a letter, you see. Everything he said was in a letter that he left that was read out at his funeral. I mean, it was kind of extraordinary, like literally all the song choices. Wow. Everything. He, he had a very clear idea and he left us all this instruction and my word, I, it, I must do something like that for my kids because it's so nice when I just know that I can be quite stressful time, can't it, when you're planning things. Yeah, actually... yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I've always wanted to plan my own funeral just because I don't trust people <laughs> with music choices and stuff. I'm like, it's got to be bloody good. There you mean. go. <laughs> no, there
1: you go. If it matters to you, get it down. Just it down.
0: <laughs> and then how do you pick, for instance, so the first song on the album is A Thousand Orchids. Do you have, obviously, is the I've always wanted to know this. Is the kind of track planning of an album really important? Do you spend ages kind of moving them around or?
1: Um, I wouldn't thing about ages. It's more like because I wrote this album with Ed Harcourt and we've written three albums together now and we both think in quite an old school way. So when we did A Thousand orchids, we were like, that's the intro. That's the first right, song. Right, okay. And then we'll, we'll just start plotting. We'll be like, oh, this sounds like end of side one. This sounds like beginning of side two. So we think in a sort of vinyl. <laughs> right, you know, yeah, yeah, swimming. yeah. Yeah, So I think there's a little bit of a, we did kind of move things around a bit of a final track listing. But actually, that's really fun. But I love those. I love doing that. I love doing the artwork, all the kind of finishing touches. Like, that's what that's the fun bit when you put in the legwork so you can enjoy that.
0: And then the single, obviously the first single, brilliant, breaking the circle again. Is that uh, was that? Did you write that? Listen to it and think, oh, that's potentially a first single. Or again, do you kind of go through a different process to to work out which ones you're going to release? Because it's important, obviously, to get the first song out there so people get a sense of what the new material is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I guess that's that's kind of quite tricky sometimes. I I tend to do it a little bit more by committee because it's you know it's like any any process the album writing is just ed and i and then you start to open the circle up between all the people that are involved and it's still quite a small team but i have my management i have my um radio plugger who's called joe who i've worked with for years i've got my uh, pr lady beth who i've worked with for years so you know it's quite a small team of people i've got long relationships with and so they start hearing it and then i say right you know what do you think and then we'll kind of sort of work it as an open conversation because everybody's got to feel good about, about the jobs you know, the yeah. role they have. Yeah. So um with that with breaking the circle, I think that was just something that um that Joe always wanted. And I i actually thought it was quite a cool first single because it's so sort of dramatic. And we ended up doing our first ever performance with it on um something on Radio Two called the piano rooms, where you get to perform at Made of Veil with the whole PvP. Oh, yeah, I love the
0: piano rooms.
1: Um, which is literally one of my favorite things I've ever done. So I was just like okay this is great <laughs> is yeah i remember going for a pie? job interview in maida
0: bay i remember going for the job because it's where they used to do um that movie show what was it called barry norman's thing and it was just so know. historic that building where it is isn't it it's just you can yeah. smell the kind of what's gone on there before
1: Yes, exactly. It is one of those buildings. You're right; it's got it's all baked into the walls, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And you saying you see say you've got a really close team. I mean, are they really honest with you as well? So, I mean, because it must be quite nerve wracking, I suppose, playing new material to those dear to you. Um, I mean, are they honest with you if they don't like something?
1: Nah, not really. Not really. I no, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I don't think that would be quite the thing. There's still a work dynamic, but I think with um, with my manager, Derek, I've worked with him now for, oh, golly, over 15 years. Actually, it's probably about 20 years. And sometimes I'll be beavering around something and he will say, oh, not quite sure where this is headed. But the trouble with me is I'm quite stubborn. So, yeah, more, yeah, yeah, so long yeah. as I've got, I, I only need, really, while I'm doing the creative thing, there's only a few people that I really need to hear from to kind of keep me on the right steer. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then
1: you kind of shut all the other voices out a little bit. And you have to go with your own tummy, you know, like when you're in the studio, if I'm making something that's supposed to make pe- other people feel a specific type of emotion, it starts with you. Like, if you're not feeling that, then you've got to keep chipping away until you get that. So I think it's kind of quite instinctive, really. Yeah, you've got to
0: go with your gut. As in everything yeah. in life, you need to go with your gut. I've learned that. As as you get yeah. older, I think you learn that more and more, that you just go with your instinctive Absolutely. feeling and everything. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And then Lost in the Sunshine, which is the new single which is out. Um, again, a question I always want to ask. I love it. Uh, and then there's the, all the mixes out. Kylie's doing all those every mix and his mother's mix at the moment of Padam Padam. But the Acid Tone remix, I love. Again, is that something you're involved in, getting people involved in the mixes? Or is that kind of the record company that do that?
1: Um, Actually, with the, no, because the, the record company is me.
0: <laughs> oh, it um, is, isn't it? Of course, because you're just, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah so... Um... So actually, the Acetone one, so that's uh, a remix by um, one half of that is It's a duo, and one half is a guy called Simon, who's actually a neighbour. So oh, right. a wow, neighbor. okay. He, he also happens to be a record producer, and he's got an amazing room, studio room, full of synths. So he's on the album credited as the synth doctor, I believe, because he added extra synths for things like um, Beyond the Universe and um, We'll Be Watching You and Um Most of the songs, actually, A Thousand Orchids, anything that's got a massive sense. Yeah, it's him. He did did the remix and I really, I really love it too.
0: And they just take off now, their remixes, don't they? They have a life of their own. It's kind of quite inspiring watching a song change (laughs) over the duration of its
1: release. That's kind of, for me, that's actually always been the case because I started... And i suppose because i started with groove jet, groove and, jet uh, yeah yeah you know that always had a billion remixes and then they did a load more for its 20th birthday and and even when i was doing songs like take me home and murder there was always different mixes you know you had mixes that were kind of like i don't know you're one for like starting different types of clubs so one that's more poppy one that's more um you know or in the dance-y. morning <laughs> yeah exactly all of that so um I think that's I think that's kind of quite a long standing tradition actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. And talking of Kylie actually, what's your view? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I love the fact that she's back with Padama Dom. It's broken back. Broke. She's there. Now Radio One have actually played a woman over 40 on the radio. Amazing. I mean yeah. as if that as if that's a thing. But I mean, it must yeah. it's, it must be quite inspiring seeing other women doing so well. You know, I, I love the fact she smashed it out of the park again.
1: Yeah, and actually not just in music, but across the board. I think I feel like I'm I've been very fortunate because I'm 44 now and I feel like there's a whole you know beautiful group of women just that bit older than me who are really really smashing it in so many different directions and that's kind of part of what my podcast with spinning plates is I get to have conversations with these women yeah they're actually it, it just flying the flag for doing incredible things at uh, different chapters in your life. I mean, some of it's very close to home. My mum, she's in her, her later 60s now, but when she was 60, she signed her first ever book deal. I and she's think- now oh. writing her, her third work of fiction. So I think, you know, we are we have learned, don't we, haven't we, that, that there's, there's lots of ways to have a career and it can be, you know, highs lows. It's kind of like it's, it's never been a straight upward trajectory. It's got It's this sort of wiggly line but you never know what's around the corner and I think probably a lot of people are surprised themselves as well with I don't know having to adapt from what happened yeah in well I, I, I remember hungry.
0: Kylie talking about the fact that she was finding it really hard a few years ago not knowing how the industry was working which I think everyone had to adapt to because it used to be release a single the album came out you know now it's kind of you got drop things here there and everywhere obviously the streaming thing is so massive it's yeah. just changed so much hasn't it
1: it has it has but a lot of it's very exciting. And I like the spontaneity of what, what can happen now. I think that, I think it's fun that you don't have need to have quite so long a run-up to stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah, and so many people are like you did with GrooveJet. I mean, people are guesting left, right and centre now, which is quite good. No one seems tied down into one genre. People are going out to do loads of different things with other artists and it seems to be so organic and so quick, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned GrooveJet, but actually when I did GrooveJet, that wasn't really what people were doing because... Groove Jet was, you know, a song that came out in that very much of the dance world. And before that, I'd been in, in an indie band. And that really was different sides of the tracks. And you weren't was, going to so do it at first,
0: a- were you? Is that right? Were you Did you kind of rethink it and think, actually, I'll give it a go? Because you thought it wasn't up your street at first.
1: Well, I was, and this, this is part of the whole thing, really, because genres were very much like stay in your lane. So this is in the like, late 90s, early noughties. And um, so when I was sent... Uh, the instrumental of GrooveJet, I didn't understand how well, I could possibly you. be involved in that. Yeah, because I'd <laughs> I'd come from, you know, a band that was blokes with guitars and me. So, yeah. and that was my whole, and that was my world. You know, I was proper brick pop kids. So part of the reason why I said yes was because I thought, actually, this is a real, this is an adventure that's like completely other and nobody from Melody Make or Enemy Will be looking out to criticise because yeah. it, it, won't, it won't even they won't even be thinking about it, and um, and actually my manager at the time was a lovely man called Martin who I'm still in touch with, but he actually stopped working with me the week that Groovejet came out because he said I don't understand why you're doing this. Oh right, this okay. Well. So when Groovejet came out, I had no management, no record wow. label, um, nothing because I just sort of done it with a bit of a. There's something about this track I liked. And it's the first song I'd ever co-written. I'd never done any songwriting before either. And um, What a ride.
0: <laughs> yeah, what a ride. What a, I mean, and then it was obviously, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, which is no one, it went absolutely like stratospheric, didn't it? It was absolutely massive. And that must always be... Again, I don't think, I mean, you can never plan for that. That must have been, because you must have felt probably then without management, without record company, that things are kind of falling apart a bit then, and then suddenly this happens.
1: I, I didn't feel like they'd fallen apart. They had. Had Yeah, well, I'd been signed to Mercury when I was 18, and then we'd been dropped by the time I was 20, and that was, I thought that was very much the end of my successful part of my music career. Wow, and I thought, yeah, well, I'm which... still going to be a singer, but I'll just, I might never, ever be successful again um in that way so Groovejet really threw me a lifeline in many many ways um I mean obviously the commercial success but also the fact that it changed my perspective I suddenly thought actually the only person coming up with rules about what I can and can't do is me and it's yeah it's stuff it's stuff and nonsense so really since then I think that's why I've hopped around genres a lot more because like it it kind of emboldened me really I thought it's all in my head like so long as you're doing things that you think work for you there's no strict rule about what you can and can't do and so I've actually hopped around all over the shop since then because I kind of just go go with what makes me happy and it, it may, may mainly has served me well it's definitely led for an interesting life <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well I think like Sam Smith over the last few years what I mean I mean the 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 different directions he's taken is incredible. I mean, you never would have thought it, but it's so exciting, someone like that. Whereas someone like Adele, who I do love, but then keeps it all very similar. I mean, I I don't know. What do you think? Would that, I don't know, that that must be quite unexciting as an artist, I think.
1: I don't know about that. I mean, she's very talented. And I think, I think it's all about what makes your heart happy. And I think, yeah, true. Just do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it was about sort of not, not second-guessing things, really. And I thought, you know, I I can make a... Like, I did a trance single with a guy called Armin Van Buren, who's a very big trance DJ. Yeah, amazing, yeah. And then the next single I brought out was a song called Youngblood, which was on a folky album called Wonderlust, and it was (laughs) completely different, you know? And I just thought, I don't think it's about... um, I mean, in a way, even you saying about Adele's career compared to Sam's it's really more about are they happy with what they're doing? With what actually. they're doing,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, totally because I think right. if they're
1: sticking, if they're sticking to the things that make their that heart love. happy, then I yeah. think, yeah, then that's that's sort of the only the only rudder you have really. And you know, look at the moment, um, it's it's uh, you know I, I'm having a really amazing summer and lots of great festivals, but there's been many years where I was kind of. <laughs> feeling my way a bit more in the in the dark. And I think you've just got to have that instinct that's the goodwill out, really. And, that so long yeah, and believe you in do, yourself. I think,
0: I, well I mean, I, I said this yeah. to actors as well with social media because it's so easy to be swerved in how you perform stuff because of a committee and it's like, never do that. Do you know what I mean? Never listen to fans. But talking at festivals quickly, because you obviously... You are a festival queen this summer, and you played everything. Every you what you you didn't play any. Well, the Glastonbury thing. First of all, I can't believe they didn't film it. I mean, still, that must have been was it a bit of a punch? I mean, it, the reaction obviously was amazing to the fact that everyone's like, "Where can I watch Sophie?" Oh, we can't. Was it a bit? Of, was it a bit of a punch to the kind of stomach that you weren't on?
1: Um, no, I wouldn't say a punch to the stomach. I think we were told a few weeks before we took to the stage that due to the camera hours it wasn't going to be possible
0: right okay. um,
1: and i think from my point of view the reason i was excited about glastonbury is because is to
0: be there and perform an,
1: yeah it's an extraordinary festival it's yeah. very prestigious and that stage is flipping amazing is it so yeah oh, I, what was it? it was, very, and also you know at that point i still had a gig to do i wasn't yeah i wasn't thinking about whether or not we we're being filmed because i was just like i just want to have an amazing time up there on the stage and then I didn't even really know if anyone would really notice that we weren't uh, broadcast, but um, they actually—I've been told—had the most negative press they've ever had in the history of Clapton <laughs> which,
0: which is kind of enjoying. amazing.
1: Um, it is kind of amazing. Yeah, and it just shows how much the sweet. love people have
0: for you, which is brilliant.
1: And well, I think it's like- lovely. And it was—it was very, very. It really meant a lot to me because look, I had the first decade of my solo career. Um, I wasn't part of the Glastonbury club and I understood it, you know, I was, I'm a pop artist and that was not part of what Glastonbury do. So the fact that I've been able to do what I do and I get to experience those things and be part of something like that, that community, it means an awful, awful lot to me. Like it's really special. So the fact that people actually also, you know, were supportive and wanted to see it, that's, that's glorious to me. And, uh, yeah it was really really incredible and hey and what I was it like there what happens <laughs> as an artist what happens
0: what happens as an artist at Glastonbury do you literally kind of get driven I've kind of I can't understand how you get through everyone do you just get kind of driven straight in do you go hours before have you got dressing rooms what happens for the artist there
1: well I guess it depends how you want to do it but for us we so we played on Sunday and we actually had a gig on Friday and on Saturday so oh, on wow. the Saturday Friday, we played with, um, we supported Gwen Stefani at Warwick Castle. Amazing. Was oh, my God. Yeah. It, was actually, it was really cool. And then on the Saturday, we did this really cute festival called Foodies Fest. Um, and then so we turned up Sunday morning. Uh, I had my breakfast on the tour bus, started putting the stuff in my dressing room, which, wow, at the pyramid stage is really lovely. Like, <laughs> it's like fresh flowers everywhere. And oh, wow. A, a barista and chocolate and oh it was very nice Incredible. it's not like that at the Avalon I love the Avalon but that's you don't get that uh, <laughs> yeah it's not um, like
0: that mostly at big grand theatres or performance places no. either is it it's normally quite and, dull
1: no and sometimes I get ready you know in a bit of like tarpaulin with grass under my feet <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty rough and ready so I took all my stuff in put my put my sequins on and did my makeup and then went and did the gig and I I highly recommend uh, performing at lunchtime. (laughs) Yeah. We're done by two and then we finished and then me and the whole band and crew, a big group of us and my eldest boy and my sister and all the people that were there with us, we all went out and watched band after band and artist after artist and, you know, you could find us in the dance field at three am, and then I. Got oh, on the good. Field so, oh,
0: so, you went and experienced it. Amazing. Because I was going to say, because you perform at so many, it must be quite. You obviously can't go and just go mad every festival you go to, but the temptation must be there to kind of go and join in.
1: I always want to go and see an act. Like I love watching other people perform. I, I would say, hand on heart, I learn something from every gig I see, even if it's just like, oh, don't do it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. i'm still i'm still learning like i love for me like being able to do a good gig is probably the most sort of the clearest measure i have of how well i'm doing my job and i really care about providing like a brilliant show for people and entertaining them so i'm constantly trying to better what we do. And uh my band are awesome and I adore my day job and I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah I mean I can't
1: festival is a great opportunity to get out there and see stuff.
0: I can't imagine the feeling, because obviously I can't imagine the feeling of what it must be like to stand there and everyone is singing back the song that you wrote. I mean it must just lift your heart every time you do it. it must I can't imagine the feeling. Uh,
1: it is awesome. I mean I have to say one of my highlights of the summer was actually um I've got a song called Heartbreak. And it's quite a big dancey tune. And I did it with the Freemasons. So the, the track and all the oh, it sounds awesome. It's I'm it's bad. a very big track. And we do it quite near the end of the set. And I always get the crowd to do big stadium-style hand claps above their head. And the crowd we had at Isle of Wight. So when I'm performing, I have ear monitors. So me and the band, we've all got, in our ears, we've all got our own personal mix. They're like headphones that you put in your ears. And then you can you've got your pack. And you can hear exactly the mix of the band that you need to hear to do, to, what hit. Need yeah. to do you but for all of us, over the sound of our monitors over the track, we could hear these thunderous claps on wow. every beat of this huge Isle of Wight crowd and it absolutely like, it sent like tingles down my spine, it was extraordinary, I was just like if I never get to experience this again, you know, this has been a, such a moment, a moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: brilliant. It's just, it's glorious. But you're all in it together. I I think like a crowd member. When I'm performing in front of a crowd, I am there. You get the I'm buzz from there. them.
0: Yeah, it's like a two-way thing, isn't yeah. it? You've both got to be enjoying yourself. 100%. And
1: it's what's... a date. It's like a date night. <laughs> is there a
0: song? I mean, is it murder that normally goes down the biggest? Is that What, what do you normally leave till the very end?
1: Um, we do finish with murder. I think, no, actually, I think heartbreak is often like actually a bit of a highlight. Massive, yeah, We do. Um, we've got a few things. We've got a medley that takes um, Groove Jet and some other like dance tracks that came out in that t- era. We get the crowd dancing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah everything. I if I can't do that, sack me. <laughs> and the
0: Kitchen Disco Legacy obviously lives on when your performances because you do a couple of covers now, which because Like a Prayer obviously always goes down. It is absolutely amazing. Would oh, what a tune. And you obviously got the radio too. You still do the kitchen discos on there. I mean, do you see yourself now like the Kardashians? Do you think you guys could all do a reality show or would that mean never in your interest?
1: I think it would be spectacular TV. Like there's so much crazy stuff going on in my house all the time. But unfortunately, I just don't think it'd be very fair on my small people. So no, that's never going to happen. But my words... I wish it could. I would love to share some of the stuff, but I think people would not believe what they're saying. It would saying. be so cool to mix <laughs> it with some
0: music as well. Do you know what I mean, it could be a new style reality show. And I mean, I have to mention that it, because it's been the talk of the town, Eurovision. I mean, I am I think surely it would be a bit of a gamble doing Eurovision because it's, it's that huge thing that could kind of mess up, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? Is that how you feel? Or do, do you think, it, would you like to do it?
1: You know, it's not so much I feel like I could mess up. Um, I think it's an amazing opportunity, actually, and I love, I love watching Eurovision. Like, oh, it's,
0: it's amazing, like, obviously. One of my yeah, favorite
1: thing. Um, I think for me, it's more like I don't I have that feeling where I need to know how the story went. I'm quite happy to keep it an untold thing of how it might have gone if I'd ever done it. Yeah, yeah. I think I just don't need to know the end of the story, so I'd rather leave it as the maybe hanging. that's something i could have done yeah yeah, yeah. and i don't that. mean that you would
0: mess up i kind of almost mean because so, some of the entries are so bad but brilliant to watch and it's like do you really want it because it's not it's a weird thing isn't it is it isn't it eurovision because it's not like that is our best song that we've had all year and we're putting it out there it's kind of very much a genre of its own eurovision isn't it so
1: it is and there's lots of rules about how the songs have to be written and you know all this sort of stuff um but would I, you I maybe I, write I like a song yeah, yeah, I'd love oh. that. That'd be great.
0: Oh, that would be brilliant. What are the rules of writing a song? I suppose it has to be... what, what, what? How, what's Eurovision Song's rules?
1: I can't remember, but it's stuff like... Um, well, obviously, it's never had... You can never have it been released before. I think there's certain rules about how many people even know about the song.
0: Right, okay.
1: The time of it. Um, and then there's just the expectation of what a Eurovision... We sort of know what a Eurovision Song is, don't we? Even yes. Even if you can't put your finger on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: So I and think, it, you know, you want that little bit of like a Euro a euro beat and a Euro euro pop melody.
0: And something yeah. lived It's normally something, up you know, with a bit of an inspiring message. Well, normally that wins. I mean, it must be also brilliant, though, just to know, again, that the public love you so much that they were vying for you to do it. I mean, again, that must be quite nice, just knowing that the, the UK want you to do it.
1: Well, that's very sweet. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure that the public were there. I don't actually know where the rumour originally <laughs> came I from. I feel like maybe every decade, someone somewhere just thinks, "Should we write that story again about Sophie doing Europe?" <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure the public had any any interest in it either way. <laughs> I think they'd be like, "Oh, okay, is that what's happening?" <laughs> okay, oh, <no.">
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 and then let's end just going back to Newham again because everything again is. of uh, you? Are you one of these people? Because I read something saying that you you haven't put uh, um, tracks in for the new album to your festival sets because you kind of gauge what people want. Is that is that kind of, What's the feel? It what what do you think about that? How do you decide?
1: Um, no, I do. I mean, I did like I did Lost in the Sunshine yesterday at Latitude. Um, I just sprinkle. I think I I when like I said when I'm watching a crowd and I'm informing in front of a crowd, I am I'm stood in the crowd. That's how I'm yeah thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, as an audience member, I am pretty bad. I, I've got quite a short attention span. I want to hear songs I know. I yeah. want to hear them done either that I know them. And I want maximum two new songs, max. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so no, I'm you're just, right. You're right. I'm just pretty brutal. So I do that with my set. Look, if you've come to see my headline show and it's my album tour, you're going to hear more of the album because that's what we're celebrating. But if I'm at a festival and I'm singing, I've got an hour long set. I'm going to make it. I'm going to take you by the hand through that set. And I will not make you listen to too many things you don't know. Because that's just, I just, I wouldn't want that if it was me. <laughs>
0: no. And it kind of stops the party in a way. Because even though it might be a brilliant song. If you don't, if you haven't heard it before, it's hard to get G'd up by, isn't it? So, and quite a few artists You can that only because... have and, and one, you going to...
1: one max. Two. that's it one, one max, max two, two
0: yeah and there yeah. are artists who don't do that and you're like or oh, what i hate the most and i won't name names is when you go and like the big classic song has been reworked into like a slow oh, version of it and you're like I
1: don't what? do that i know or my my pet peeve as a singer is when a crowd are doing the big song along for sing along for a big song that everybody knows and the singer sings it in a slightly different way so the crowd <laughs> yeah. are kind of left hanging. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You're just trying to make us look stupid, Don't
0: you <laughs> Yeah, that? totally. I know. <laughs> I, I, honestly, not...
1: I'm. I'm like. <laughs> you're
0: the. I would word, really hate the... to have
1: the crowd of me in the audience because I'm very annoying audience member. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a good way to And are you going to tour? You are touring the new album, I'm guessing, later this year. Are you?
1: You know what was sort of. or uh, it was a bit tricky. So we've done. We did do an album launch gig, which was really glorious and I hope to do more. But actually the next tour we have is a Christmas kitchen disco across Amazing. the UK.
0: Amazing. So
1: that one will have a, a little sprinkle of album, but it's also gonna have all the old tunes and a load of Christmas songs and a little bit of the unexpected. So I don't know. I think I think it's probably gonna end up being like more of a like party set. But I might have I usually I have a wheel. Because uh, we did a tour of it last year. So I've got a wheel that's got on it, I don't know, like 20-something songs on it. And they're, they're all songs people know and stuff like that. So I'll have a wheel that I'll spin. But I might have a couple of spots that are just for the album and I might have a little mini wheel. And then we just do maybe like two songs from the album, but we don't know which ones. Something oh, what do like you mean that. you
0: spin? Oh, you spin on the stage and they're the ones you do. I
1: spin on the stage, yeah. So my poor band, Oh, that's brilliant. They have to learn, like, I think we all had under our skin like over forty songs. Wow! That we knew for the set, but then you'll you'll not play them every night, obviously. And some things come up loads, and some things don't come up at all, and some things I'll cheat and move the wheel along because I want to do that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good. That keeps it fresh every night, which must be good as well. Um, which yeah, it's awesome.
1: fun. I love all that. And actually, you know, I mean, we were thinking when we were doing the kitchen disco on stage, like, how did you keep the spontaneity and the chaos? but also deliver a show and that that was the way we thought you know you, you can it. you can have a little a few little question marks along the way and then it keeps each night different I think that's cool
0: yeah that is cool and then um my final question was who does have you got a, a specific or a few musical artists who do really inspire you what what's what do you listen to what does Sophie listen to
1: I get inspired all the time yeah um and I think, you know, as I said, watching people, like when we did the gig with Gwen Stefani, she was brilliant. She was really brilliant. So many good tunes. Her voice sounded great. Um, She's a great singer as well, by, isn't she? She is. And I think I get inspired by artists who make you feel very sure when you're watching them live that they are very present with where they are. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's that's the talent of it, really. You've got to feel like you're all in that moment. Unlike Um,
0: um, when I saw Brittany, bless her, who came out in Dublin and said, hello, Birmingham, which kind of lost everyone. I know, but she was still good.
1: I mean, that's tricky. I mean, bloody hell. I I haven't had that happen, but I did have it. Oh, this is really embarrassing. I I did a gig last year where we were playing um, at Wembley Stadium, Westlife, with a headline, and we were one of the supports. And I mentioned Westlife quite a lot during my, you know, because I'm the support, so I'm like, Yeah, you know, so you're like, wow, you they're coming getting ready up. Yeah. for Westlife, and, you know, let's give a cheer for them, they can hear you backstage. But at one point, by accident, I said, now, guys, I know you're all here to see Westfield. And <laughs> oh, I basically no. called them
0: Westfield. <laughs> oh, no. didn't
1: even notice. And I came off stage, and my band were like, you called them Westfield for one, <laughs> for one moment. So... That was my Britney moment, I guess. <laughs>
0: amazing. You've had a Britney bit. Well, listen, thanks for coming on <laughs> Off the Vogue. It's been amazing to talk to you as normal. The Me album's too. done brilliantly and will continue to be brilliant. So go and buy it now, everyone, Hannah, um, and speak to you soon.
1: Yeah, lovely to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Bye. Thank you so much to Sophie Ellis-Bexter for joining me on a special edition of Pop From The Box. Remember, there are loads more musical stars to listen to right now. Ronan Keating, Martine McCutcheon, Claire Richards from Steps, Sonia, the list goes on. Make sure you check out Soap From The Box 80 episodes of tv and musical stars for you to enjoy i will be back on monday with a brand new episode of soap from the box featuring Hollyoaks og james redmond star of casualty as well can't wait have a good weekend i will see you then